we are starting a, a brand new sermon series today called Polarized. And uh, I, don't know, I don't know if you get our newsletter every week or not, but I said th- this last week in the newsletter, I just mentioned how um, you know, sometimes there's a series that we do as a church that I just feel is particularly important for us as a church. And uh, every sermon series that we do, obviously I wouldn't preach it if I didn't feel like it was important and it wasn't necessary and needed. But sometimes a sermon series comes along that just uh, seems to carry a little more weight, a little more significance, um, not just for where we're at as a church, but even for, I believe, God wants to take us as a church, what the next year, two years, three years is going to look like for us. And this series that we're launching into today that we're going to spend probably the next several weeks in is is definitely one of those series. uh, Because it not only speaks to uh, where things are at within our church, but even even to where things are, are at within our society outside the church and how we as a church have an opportunity to be an incredible light in this, this day and age that we're living in. Um, last month, uh, the Wall Street Journal wrote an article about um, a little town in, just tucked into the southwest corner of Colorado, a town called Cortez. And it's a little community of about 8,700 people. And over the past year, Cortez has become deeply, deeply polarized to the point of things getting hostile. It's gotten so bad over this last um, couple years that at one point, the mayor of the town, a guy named um, Chris LeVay, he wrote a, a resignation letter because he just felt helpless to do anything in the midst of all the polarization that was happening in his, his community. It was just being torn apart by division. The town had become, become divided over everything from politics to race to, to COVID-19. And it all started actually when a group um, called the Montezuma County Patriots, they started holding these uh, rides they called Freedom Rides. They'd hold them up and down Main Street um, every Saturday. And they originally started out way back in March, April 2020 as being protests against COVID uh, lockdowns. But then in May, um, things got really heated. After the murder of George Floyd, it was no longer just protesting COVID lockdowns, all of a sudden these uh, freedom rides became a show of support for law enforcement, a show of support for President Trump. And at the same time, another group of people began holding weekly protests that they called Walks for Justice and Peace. And they were held to protest the, the murder of George Floyd and support racial justice. They, they walked carrying signs that said Black Lives Matter. They were carrying signs that said End White Supremacy. And each week in the town of Cortez, the polarization was on full display. Men in big trucks would roll down the street and blast plumes of smoke in the faces of the justice and peace protesters while hurling expletives and insults at them, accusations of being communist and Marxist. Meanwhile, on the other side, um, they would accuse the freedom riders of being homophobic and racist and uh, domestic terrorists. After the election, um, things didn't die down. This past January, the the mayor became so desperate to do something about his town that um, he had heard about this clinical psychologist at a a nearby university, a lady named Rachel Nielsen, who specialized in in helping people who authorities deemed to be violence-prone. 
And uh, she'd never worked with a community before. She always just worked with individuals. But when she heard what was happening and, and when the mayor extended an invitation to her to come to the town, she said yes, she came. And her suggestion was to hold a discussion between the members of each side. So you had these two sides of people in this, this community that was becoming more and more, more polarized. And her suggestion was, okay, let's get together and have a discussion. And rather than talk about our differences, let's get together and talk about the things that we have in common. And, and so to facilitate the discussion, they invited a number of leaders in the community, and they all either said flat out no for fear of the potential fallout, or they were turned down when it was found out that they were heavily biased towards one side. Meanwhile, the competing rallies and hostility continued. One restaurant put up a sign saying mask required. Another one put up a poem expressing why they were um, refusing uh, to wear masks. The Rotary Club, for the first time, refused to sponsor the town's annual rodeo because of the Freedom Riders' involvement. In response, the Chamber of Commerce agreed to sponsor. The Walk for Justice group, they actually ended their marches this past, just this past June, but planned another one in October to support abortion rights. The Freedom Riders most recently held a large rally on 9-11, and in recent weeks, they've turned their attention to school board meetings where they've fought against mask mandates and critical race theory being taught. And today, the mayor, Mayor LeVay, is still the mayor of the town. He decided against resigning his office. However, he has resigned himself on another front. He gave up efforts to bring the city together, even as tensions continue to rise and rise and rise and rise. In his conclusion, mere coexistence will have to suffice the division is just too wide. And this story could have been written about any town or city in, in America. It could have been written about Ferndale. In fact, as I was reading some of the story of this town from the last couple years, some of you going, yeah, I've seen that play out right here in our, our own backyard. Just simply change, some of the, change the names and it's the same story. We are a polarized people. We're polarized over politics. Um, Pew Research recently ran a study where they discovered that 75% of Democrats and 64% of Republicans view the other side as closed-minded. 47% of Democrats and 55% of Republicans view the other side as immoral. And this is a, a huge jump even in the last several years. It's becoming more common today for people not to vote for their particular party because they believe so strongly in their party and the candidate of the party, it's becoming more and more common for people to vote because they're so against or, or even hate or opposed to the other party and the other candidate so much. We're polarized over COVID. If you go on YouTube and you just search school board meetings over masks, you'll find everything from full-on scuffles breaking out to parents screaming in rage to men tracking down the vehicles of board members as they pull out of the driveways and threatening them. We're polarized over race. One side argues that systemic racism is a really big deal, while the other side argues that it doesn't even exist. The world that you and I live in is polarized, divided, and, and it's become cruel and vicious. No mercy, there's no grace, no patience, no civility. And what's worrisome, and, and really a big reason for doing this series, is that where the church has been given a moment to shine really brightly and to show what 
show the world what it looks like to love one another and to care for for one another despite our opinions our ideas our viewpoints our perspectives our differences the church instead has become just as polarized just as divided just as suspicious of, of one another just as hostile as the world is i've seen pastors being publicly thrown under the bus because of their efforts to bring peace were completely misunderstood I've seen people walking away from their home church because they didn't like a church's stance on such and such an issue. And there's a couple reasons why we're doing this this series right now. Some of you might be wondering, okay, Rich, where was this series last year? Like, when things were like at the peak, where where was this series last year when the world was falling apart? Well, one of the reasons we're doing this series right now is that it's not an election year. And honestly, last year, I debated, okay, should, should, should I preach this series on polarization and living as one? And um, I actually, in the end, felt it would be more wise to hold off because, you know, when you preach certain things in an election year, and this is my 13th year living in America, and I've, I've learned something. When you preach something in an election year, it tends to be viewed a little bit more through a political lens than if it was preached at another time even though the exact same message could be being preached. It's just seen a little bit differently. And, and the importance of this series has not diminished one single bit. And although I would say the polarization is, is maybe not as out there as it's been at times the last couple years, it is still there simmering underneath the surface. And if you just pay attention not only to what's happening out there in the news, but even what's happening right here in our own city in the news, even just this last week, you have these moments where it just erupts the tension and the, the polarization that's right there underneath the surface. Another reason that this is being preached right now is that, you know, I, I really do believe that the church has been given a moment like none other to be that city on a hill that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5, where even though the world around us is becoming more and more polarized and divided by the day, we have this opportunity to be that, that Matthew 5 church whereby our good deeds, by, by the way that we love one another, by the way that we converse, by the way that we discuss things, by the way that we're patient with one another, we can shine in such a way that Jesus is lifted really high. I believe that with all my heart. And so this morning and next week, um, I want to spend our time just, just this morning and next week, and we'll probably be coming back to this over the course of this sermon series, but I want to, I want to look at one of the most famous prayers of Jesus in the Bible. It's a prayer for, for oneness in his church. And before we read it, let me just give you a bit of context for the prayer. Um, the, the prayer is found in, in John chapter 17. And Jesus, at the time of this prayer, he's, he's with his disciples in the upper room. It's the Jewish Passover where they've all been gathered around a table, eating and drinking. That moment that we've all have heard about, probably... Whether you've been around the church or you're just brand new in the church, maybe you've heard about this. But that moment where Jesus takes off his, his robe and he just, he, he takes a towel, wraps around his, his, his waist and washes his disciples' feet. That moment has just, just happened. The disciples have just partaken of the very first communion service where Jesus, he, he's just moments away from being led away and crucified. And as they break that bread and they, they take that, that, that wine together, he tells them that a new covenant's going to be made between them and God, a covenant made in his blood that, that he's about to so selflessly and sacrificially pour out for them. 
And there in this, this upper room, there's a heaviness in the room. Jesus has just told them that he's about to leave them. This, this man who's been with them now for three years, and they've just spent so much time together, Jesus tells them that, that he's about to leave them and that he's going to suffer and die. And on top of this heaviness, there's a tension in this room. The vision rear its ugly head within this, 12 group, this group of 12 disciples. Judas has already made it clear that he intends to betray Jesus. He's actually left the, the room. And as if that wasn't enough to cause concern, shortly after Jesus, in front of the whole entire group, he, he confronts Peter with the, the, the prophecy that Peter is actually going to deny Jesus three times. And it appears that before Jesus has even ascended up into heaven, that any unity, any oneness within his followers is already beginning to fray and fall apart. And when you stop and think about it, is it any wonder? You know, from day one, this ragtag group of disciples seemed destined to fail. The odds of this particular group of people working together to one day change the world didn't seem very high. The disciples from day number one were a very polarized group of individuals. On one hand, you had, you had these two sets of brothers. You had Peter and Andrew and then James and John. Um, scholars believe that these four guys had been, their families had been working together for years and years and, and had known each other very well. It was kind of a natural click, potential for them to become shut off and separate from the rest. And the chances of this happening would have actually increased even more when Jesus goes and he makes Peter and James and John kind of his right-hand guys you know, what was Jesus thinking? Didn't he know that when you spend more time and energy with one specific group of people, that it's going to naturally cause some polarization and division to happen? Didn't he realize that there was a, a chance of them becoming resentful and feeling left out? And apparently, a rift did begin to form in this group because of the extra attention, because eventually... Um, this actually went to, Peter, to James and John's heads. There was one, one moment where, where Peter, or James and John, they come to, to Jesus and they ask him, hey, can we have the seats in heaven that, at, at, like right beside you, Jesus? You know, the seats that are reserved for the most important people. Can we have those seats, Jesus? And after they asked, the Bible highlights the rift that had formed. It says this, it says, when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. A rift had formed. And on top of this, these four guys, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they were all um, blue-collar fishermen, small-town boys. You know, if they'd been around today, we're talking refinery workers, big trucks, big tires, the kind of guys that you'd be seeing down at the main street having drinks after work on a Saturday night. Peter was the rough and tumble, impulsive one of the bunch, always running his mouth, speaking his mind about everything. James and John, they're also impulsive, hot-headed men. One day when a village was inhospitable towards them and Jesus and the rest of the disciples, James and John are like, okay, Jesus, we need to just call down fire from heaven and destroy this whole town. That's James and John. And these are the first guys that Jesus invites to follow him, to be the people who are going to one day change the world. These guys. But, but listen, it gets even crazier. One of the next people that Jesus invites to follow him is a man named Nathaniel. And this is a guy dripping with prejudice. 
Hardly a word is said about this guy in the entire Bible except the words that he says when he first finds out about Jesus. Um, a guy named Philip had heard about Jesus, and so he wanted to tell Nathaniel they were friends. Philip goes to Nathaniel, and he's like, hey, Nathaniel, Nathaniel you'll never believe this, this guy that we met. Um, he, he's the one that Moses and the prophets talked about. His name is Jesus. He's the son of Joseph of Nazareth. And how does Nathaniel respond at first? Nazareth, he exclaimed, can anything good come from Nazareth? And his prejudice is on full display. Think of that person you know who has no problem showing prejudice towards people with different backgrounds, different skin colors, different socioeconomic status. That's Nathaniel. And then Jesus invites Thomas to follow him. Thomas, this is the outspoken doubter of the group. He's the guy that's the natural skeptic. He hears the CDC talking about viruses and vaccines, and he's like, yeah, I doubt it. There's something bigger going on here. It's probably Bill Gates in China. Bats, not likely, with the virology lab right down the street. This is Thomas, the doubter, the skeptic of the group. And as if this group wasn't outrageous enough, Jesus is about to make the, the, the two most questionable decisions about who would be a part of his first group of followers. The first guy is a guy named Simon the Zealot. Now, this is a different Simon than Simon Peter. And I got to admit, if, if I'm Jesus, and I'm looking for the, the people who are going to be my first followers, I am staying as far away as possible from a guy named Simon the Zealot. I'm not touching that guy with a 10-foot pole. You see, Simon was called the Zealot because he was part of a group of radicals hoping to one day overthrow the Roman government. He's a militant. If Simon were alive today, there's a good chance he's one of the guys showing up at the Capitol Hill on January 6th. He's probably wearing a mega hat, and he probably has a big sign saying, In God we trust. This is Simon the Zealot. And then what does Jesus do next? He calls a man named Matthew to follow him. Who does Matthew work for? The Roman government. The same Roman government that Simon the Zealot is hoping to overthrow, this is Matthew. And, and what exactly does Matthew do for work? He's a tax collector. He's a white-collar, wealthy tax collector, one of the most despised people in all of Israel back in those days. He's, he's known as being a traitor to the nation. He is the polar opposite of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Matthew's rich, they're poor. He's political, upper-class, elite, they're not. They're lower-class nobodies. And these are the guys that Jesus invites to follow him. These are the guys who he's going to work through to change the world. These guys? One Bible commentator said of the whole situation that the emphasis in the four Gospels was never placed on the income or the socioeconomic background of these guys. He says... The emphasis seems to be placed on how outrageous it was that they were even called at all. Why did he choose these guys? These guys are not just different from one another. They are on polar opposite ends of the spectrum from one another. It is a combination of personalities, ideas, beliefs, perspectives that is like a box of firecrackers all it needs is for one to be lit, and the whole thing is going down in a blaze of glory. Now, just for a moment, 
I want us to stop and just consider who we are as a church. We are all over the map when it comes to income. There are people in our church who make six figures. There are others who barely make it paycheck to paycheck. There are those who believe that COVID is a hoax sprung on us by Bill Gates and the Chinese government. There are others who believe that this is the most deadly, scariest, dangerous disease of our lifetimes. There are those who will vote blue for the rest of their lives, regardless of the candidate. And there are those who will vote red for the rest of their lives, regardless of the candidate. There are those who don't believe racism is an issue that needs a lot of attention. And there are others who would say it is the main issue that needs to be addressed. And what's amazing is that Jesus invited each one of us to follow him. And his hope and his vision for us as a church is the same hope and the same vision that he had for those first 12 disciples. His hope and his vision is that we would be the people through which his kingdom would come to this earth. And that through us, the world would know him and they would know that we're followers of him and how would this be accomplished get this he says this is how it's going to be accomplished he says in john 13 love one another as i have loved you so you must love one another and by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another which brings us right back to the upper room He's just finished sharing these words on love with his disciples. Um, they had been 12 disciples, but now they're 12, 11 disciples because Judas is gone. He's told them about how important it is for them to abide in him. He's told them about how they're going to be hated. He's comforted them because they're, they're all so worried. There's that heaviness and that tension in the room. And so Jesus is comforting them with news of the Holy Spirit. So ironic, isn't it? Here's Jesus about to go to a horrible, bloody death on a cross, and he's the one doing the comforting. Jesus is. And then in this somber moment of the upper room, Jesus has some final words to say to them. He says this. He says, a time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Scattered. Divided separated each to his own home and when i read that this past week it, it literally gave me the chills because isn't this the picture of the church the past 18 months politics persecution pandemic divisions all of us scattered and into a large extent divided and not only that for some they become so entrenched and their ideas, their opinions, their contempt for the other side, that they've abandoned Jesus in the process, walking away from their faith, or at the very least, getting so distracted by everything else that Jesus has simply become an afterthought. No time to follow and pursue him. And his very next words, Jesus' last words that, that he would direct straight to them in the upper room, Jesus makes a declaration that gives us incredible perspective in this broken world. It gives us incredible hope, even in the most divided of times. He says this in John 16, 33. He says, I have told you these things so that in me 
you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And then he prays a prayer, a prayer that we're going to close with this week, but next week we're going to spend the whole morning diving into. And it's found in John 17. If you've got a Bible or an app and you want to follow along, we'd love to have you join me. He prays this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And if you're in the room, if you're watching online and you're looking for life, you do not need to look any further because Jesus just told you how to find life and life to the full. It is in knowing him. He goes on to say, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them, and I'm not praying for the world, but for they, they are yours. And, and keep in mind that Jesus is not just praying here for his 12 disciples. He's praying for us as followers of him. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. And here's the key, key line that I want us just to grab onto this, this morning. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Holy Father, he prays, protect them that they may be one as, as we are one. And I just got to tell you this morning that, you know, as your pastor, I don't want to be like Mayor LeVay of Cortez, Colorado, resigning myself to pastoring a church that's merely coexisting together. I don't ever want to sit idly by and, and not call us together when my Savior, Jesus, prayed that we would all be one as He and the Father are one. And, and we can't just coexist and put up with one another from a distance. Uh, yesterday in our Bible reading plan that we're reading together as a church, it, 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 it talked about grace and truth and it unpacked that word grace, charis in the Greek, and that word grace implies moving towards one another. Not just coexisting and living our own lives separate and just maybe being cordial with one another on a Sunday morning, but moving towards one another in grace and in truth. This is what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to love on this level because I'll say it again, the invitation to follow Jesus and to live as one, that's for all of us. It's for all of us. And it's an invitation to be one despite our ideas, despite our opinions, despite our different perspectives, despite our different viewpoints, he calls us to be one. And I believe today that it starts not with us figuring out how to do that, although we're going to hopefully get that all figured out and looked into over the next several weeks. 
But today, I, I believe it starts with us just going, coming before the Father and humbly saying, God, we can't do this on our own. It's a humble posture that says, Jesus, it's, it's like you prayed. It is only by the power of your name that this is ever going to happen. It's only by you. And, and as we come before Jesus with humility, I believe he's going to start to work and do something in us that we can't do on our own. Because like those first disciples, we're all so different. We're all so different. You know, if we're not careful, those differences will cause us to push one another away. But Jesus is asking us to live differently and to move towards one another in grace and, and truth. And you know, I, wouldn't, I would not have it any other way. You know, I was, just, I was talking with someone this week, I forget who, but um, we got talking about uh, uh, house churches. And, and you know, sometimes it, I've thought, you know, it'd be easier just to like have a, a small church and just get people like you together and just like happily live ever after. But I, I, I love that we are a church that is different, that is diverse in every way imaginable. Because I believe, and I, I, I believe this with all my heart, that when we can come together and live together with, with all of our differences, and, and as we can love one another, be in community together with one another, I believe it, it, it just it shines this, the light on Jesus in a way that nothing else will especially, especially in this polarized world that we live in. And I know that he is calling us to that today. And, and so as we wrap up this morning, I'd love to pray for us and pray that God would help us in the power of his name. Heavenly Father, I, I'm just so thankful, Jesus, for, for your, your church family. Lord, I, I, I love the way that you call people to yourself. Jesus, this whole story, um, God, in the Gospels of how you call the disciples and you took these guys that were so radically different. Lord, people that we would look at. God, if we were, if we were trying to form a team that was going to go out and, and just accomplish stuff, Lord, we're not pulling those 12 guys together. But Lord, you did. And you were very intentional about that. Because at the end of the day, you did not want it to be about those 12 guys. At the end of the day, God, you want it to be about your beautiful, glorious, awesome, powerful name. And so, Father, this morning, we come before you humbly. God, we come before you as a people that is living in a world that is absolutely polarized and in, in all likelihood going to become more polarized. God, we come to you as your people asking for your help. God, we can't make this happen in our own strength, in our own wisdom. God, we're not, we're not smart enough, intelligent enough, wise enough, God, to get this, this one figured out and figure out how to do this. Lord, we need your help. And Lord, I thank you that you promised. God, just before you prayed that prayer, you promised your followers that they would not have to do it on their own. You promised your followers that you were going to send a comforter, that you were going to send a helper, you are going to send one that would, 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 would convict and lead and guide, you are going to send your Holy Spirit. And Father, we, we thank you that, that you're here with us today in the power of your Holy Spirit to be our help.
And so, Father, help us. Help us, I pray. And, and while your heads are bowed, eyes closed, whether or not whether you're here in the room or you're watching from home, I want to give you just a moment this morning, just you and the Holy Spirit. I don't know where your heart is at. Maybe on the outside, people would look at you and they would go, oh man, that person just looks so full of love and kindness and grace. But you know deep down inside there is hatred growing for whatever the other side looks like to you. Maybe it's not hatred, maybe it's just contempt. Maybe you're seeing people made in the image of God, not as image bearers of God, but people that are less than because they think differently, act differently, look differently than you. And God this morning is calling you to repentance. He's calling you to repentance. To have a moment with Him where you say, God, God, in my heart, I'm, I'm just, I, there, I'm divided. I'm, I'm full of anger. I'm full, I just, I'm full of contempt. I'm full of division. I'm full of, God, even hatred. And it's a moment of repentance saying, God, I am sorry. God, I'm coming back to you. Help me. Help me. Maybe someone else, you, you just become, maybe you've seen everything the last, last couple years especially, and, and you've noticed that all of a sudden where you used to care about people and you used to be maybe even noticing people and wanting to reach out to people, Something has crept into your heart when it comes to people, and it's a thing called indifference. Indifference. You're just indifferent to people. You've seen stuff, you've heard stuff, you just don't care anymore. Maybe it's, maybe it's people in our church family that you're just indifferent towards. Maybe it's your coworkers. Maybe it's just people that you cross paths with. You're just indifference, indifferent. And God is calling, calling you today to repent. And repentance, is, it's, it's not a complicated thing. Repentance is just bringing it to God and saying, God, I, this, is, this is how I've been. Lord, I confess that to you, and I'm turning from that old way, and I'm turning to your way. God, I need your help. And if God is, is speaking to you, I, I just encourage you right here in this moment, just in the quietness of this moment to, to, to tell him that, to confess that to him. God, this is where I've been. Help me. God, make me a person that, that moves towards people. God, whether they look like me, talk like me, act like me or not, God, help me be a person that moves towards people the same way that you did with love and grace. God, help me to be like you. Help me to be like you. And God, I pray for all of us that Jesus you put your love deep down in our hearts and God, cause it to grow. A love for people. A love for one another. And God, lastly, I just want to pray for us as a church. And God, I, I, I thank you, Jesus, that Lord, you want to lead us as a church to, to, towards that prayer that you prayed, towards that vision that you have, that mission that you have for us as a church to be people that live as one, God, through which your kingdom comes to this, this, this world. And so, Father, help us, I pray. God, may we be a church that, that God is, is the answer, God, to that prayer that you prayed. God, that we would be a, a people that loves and cares for one another and, and, and works together for the sake of your name. And God, I pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.
Amen. Amen. Amen. Hey, I encourage you, um, do something this week to love somebody, to reach out to somebody that you know is just on the opposite side of where you're at, whatever that looks like. Maybe it's someone that you know that's on the opposite side of where you're at politically. Maybe it's someone that's on the opposite side of just uh, where you're at in life. I don't know what that looks like, but do something, reach out to someone and love this week.